It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. Do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Flotsam. Your team. Oh. Every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. America's guest, Jason Hershorn, is on the show today. And it just so happens we got this great question from Sean D in Illinois on the Locked On Packers fan hotline. At this point, would it make sense to fire Patton midseason? This would allow the Packers try promoting from within first. If promoting within first doesn't work, then obviously hire from outside the organization. Would firing Patton midseason wake the defense up and motivate them? We will get to all of that with Jason a little bit later. It has been a a much discussed topic over the last few days and, and really over the last 10 or so months ever since the NFC Championship game. And so we're going to talk to Jason about where the, the team stands now, what the options would be in the short term, what the options are in the long term, the impact, the, the kind of candidates who would theoretically make sense, why it would or wouldn't make sense to make a move now. All of that stuff is coming up in just a little bit. I want to start the show, though, talking about the offense. One of the reasons I think the Packers were so content after this game, and and maybe not content, but they weren't as down as maybe you know fans were, is I went back and looked at some of the offensive numbers that Green Bay put together. 6.4 yards per play. They outgained the Colts on a per-play basis. 6.4 to 5.7. They were better yards per pass. Better, or just about even, I say, I guess, in yards per rush. They just didn't have many opportunities. If you look at points per drive, they're right on their season average. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, they were better than the Colts across the board offensively. And yet, this Indianapolis Colts team was supposed to have this elite defense, this defense that would prevent the Packers from doing the very things that make them so potent. And yet, Green Bay exceeded EPA per play in this game for their season average. And and were you know not not an insignificant margin 
were better on a per play basis offensively than the average for the season. That that tells you that not only were they not stopped by this team, but they were they were better. They exceeded expectations. Certainly exceeded their own averages against a defense that has stopped just about everyone. This was supposed to be the test, right? Could they score against a good defense? And they did. We're going to focus on the the three and outs. And they had two of them in the second half. And that obviously was a, a, a turning point in the game. Because Green Bay, they have the ball. They score at the end of the half. And they're up 28 to 14. By the time they get their next first down, they're down 31-28. Because the Colts start the half with a field goal. They get a touchdown. They get a field goal. They get a field goal. Green Bay had two three and outs in there and the fumbled kick return. So the Colts close that 14-point deficit and turn it into a three-point advantage. They score 17 unanswered points in the second half and it was really just those two drives where things went awry for the Packers you know they had the fumble on the first possession okay obviously not great but then they score and after the Colts score Green Bay has to punt then Aaron Rodgers throws a pick after that though they go touchdown 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 three straight possessions with touchdowns including the end of half score this was an incredibly bizarre game from a game flow standpoint Green Bay, 16 plays in the final two minutes of the first and second halves. 16 plays. They only ran 57 total plays, which is below, well below, in fact, their season average. This was a bizarre offensive game, and yet, on a per-play basis, they were really good. It was the turnovers that ultimately doomed this team. And so when you think back to the conversations we had yesterday about, oh, the team felt like it was a championship week of practice and they had the focus and the energy and all that stuff. And and then you see the outcome. They lost. They give up the big lead. You go, how can that be? And it's because the players knew and the coaches knew that play to play, they had played well in this game, that they had done what they needed to do. I would say even defensively at times. Because even in that stretch where they give up that 14-point lead, they only gave up one touchdown. They turned a 14-point lead into a three-point deficit and only gave up one touchdown in that time frame. If you're going to be Mike Patton and you're going to give up these 10 and 14-play and drives, it's, it's because you think you're going to force field goals and that you're going to trade field goals for touchdowns with this offense. And... That is not what happened in the second half, and that was how the Packers were able to get back in the game. But even with that, it took a fumble by what is looking like a non-NFL player to put them behind. Because if they get the ball back 28-28, and they have the same drive that they have just a possession later, where they have a fourth and one in plus territory, maybe they kick the field goal to take the lead, and who knows what happens from there? The game is incredibly different. We have an incredibly different feeling about it. And that is a, a fundamental difference in the game script for the Colts, for the Packers, for everyone. 
the the things that happened this is not fluky i don't know i even hesitate to use that word but it is it is fluky not in the way that the 49er game was fluky because what happened in the 49er game is aaron Rodgers did something twice that he never does and that swung the game. But then the, the, the Packers were never able to regain the momentum. They were never able to right the proverbial ship. But in this game, they constantly fought back. They con- they, they had this, this fluky fumble on the first possession. You have an all-pro caliber center, uh, an MVP caliber quarterback, and they botch the center exchange. Incredibly rare occurrence. Just a weird bounce. Aaron Rodgers throws a pick. He rarely throws a pick. But look, turnovers happen. That is uh, at least something that that happens in NFL games. And and it's going to happen to the Packers, you know, over the course of a season. It's going to happen a handful of times. Aaron Rodgers is historically great at avoiding it, but it's going to happen. But then you have the the Darius Shepard fumble. A kick return fumble is also rare. These special teams, it's not even a mistake because it's just a, a fluky play. And then MVS who has never fumbled in his NFL career, fumbles because a play that they run 15 times a game was not blocked up by two solid blockers on their team. They ran that play earlier to Equinemius St. Brown, same two blockers with Alan Lazard, or excuse me, it was actually Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Robert Tanyan to the bunch side. They run it and EQ turns it into a big gain. If Tanyan and Lazard are able to get Blackman blocked, even if Lazard is just able to chip him enough to get to the second level and 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 knock Blackman off course, MVS turns that into a big play. I mean, I watch it in slow motion. The throw is a little short. It's a little behind MVS. He's not able to, to catch and get upfield immediately. But Blackman is on him before he can do anything. That's a really fluky play. And it's not fluky like the Bucks game was fluky because that totally threw the game off kilter and the Packers were never never able to recover. The Packers had some fluky stuff happen and they did recover. They still almost had a chance to win the game. They did have a chance to win the game. But then another fluky thing happened. Now, of course, the counter is going to be, well, you can lose a game in the playoffs by fluky things. Oh, I know. And you know how I know it's happened to the Packers? A bunch. An onside kick doesn't bounce the right way. A face mask penalty doesn't get called on a on a game ceiling play. Uh, you know, just the list goes on and on. Larry Fitzgerald spins away from seven defenders. You know, Carson Palmer doesn't go down. I mean, how many times the, the Giants get a Hail Mary at the end of a half? There are so many examples we can point to where a play here and a play there decides a playoff game. And that's just what it is, right? But if we're talking about projecting forward, if we're talking about the quality of a team, if we're talking about the quality of this team and saying, what can they do moving forward? I think it's reasonable to be encouraged by what we saw, if for no other reason than not only did they come back from some of these fluky adversity plays, but this offense was awesome and they can still be better. Al Lazard gets back and gets healthier. The offensive line had to do some reshuffling. Corey Lindsley gets out. Luckily, they're incredibly deep. You had, you know, a, a garbage holding call on Mercedes Lewis and they get a play. I mean, there were some there were some fluky things going on in this game. And I don't want to, to chalk up every loss to flukiness because obviously, you know, the Vikings game, not fluky. And the the game script of the Colts was not fluky. But the the things that held the Packers back 
you know, if Derry Shepard is Tyler Irvin in this game, the Packers win. I mean, I think pretty unequivocally, if Tyler Irvin is playing in this game instead of Darius Shepard, the Packers win. And and those are the differences against really good teams. Remy didn't play its best football, but we what we did see is that they could be in these games, that they could go toe-to-toe with a really good team who played an outstanding offensive game, who got four turnovers, and they were still able to be in a position with the ball at the end of the game to, to win or tie, which they did, and then to win, which they were simply unable to do. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Axon, who make a product I'm sure you've heard of. Protecting my family is my number one priority, but I want to do it safely, just like David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins. They want to protect Aaron Rodgers. The people at Taser believe that safer self-defense is better self-defense. Taser's line of non-lethal self-protective devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or in a glove compartment or in a purse, yet they're powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you time to escape and send emergency dispatch to your location. Protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. Get a Taser Plus Pulse or Taser Strike Light at Taser.com with promo code NFL. Saves 15% now at Taser.com, promo code NFL. Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network, and I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season, and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big-time bonus, and all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats. You can pick from main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft, and you can even play private contests with your friends. And there's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel and that's what I love about it. Experience season long wins without the season long wait. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. Coming up tomorrow on Locked on Packers, Lily Zhao for Zhao You Doing to talk about Packers, Bears, and finish up our discussion on the Indianapolis Colts. All right, when we have problems, we bring in America's guest, Jason Hershorn, and the Packers defense certainly has some problems. So let's start there, Jason. When you look at where this Packers team is, where they came from last year, and, and where they've been over the last few seasons with Mike Patton, what are you seeing from this defense? Well, I think it's important to note that there have been some changes under Pettin from when he began in the final year of the McCarthy era to what we're seeing now. And obviously, some of those things are causing issues. Now, in terms of the scheme itself, there's a lot of things I think fans are annoyed with that not that they aren't right to complain, but those are things that are not just like unique to Pettin. They are things that happen in NFL defenses and when implemented correctly they can make a positive difference. So when you have a defense like Pettens that uses a lot of like shells to really disguise what they're doing, you can run into situations where 
for example, Preston Smith is suddenly in coverage. Now, this is an area mm -hmm. of considerable consternation for people who cover the Packers, for people who are fans of the Packers or just watch them in general. But this is not something that's unique to him. We see this in a lot of other defenses. We see this especially with Bill Belichick, not specifically putting his linebackers in coverage, but disguising when they're in man and when they're in zone. And sometimes you end up with sort of weird matchups, but the benefit is the offense doesn't necessarily know what they're looking at pre-snap, and that's where you can get advantages. There are other things, too, that Pettin likes to do with his cornerbacks. We see them play a lot of very big cushions. Now, that's to defend against the big play. It's the thing that the Packers most want to stop. Again, not unique to the Packers defense. The problem with all of these things is when they're implemented and how they're implemented. And I think we saw a lot of those problems really creep up on, in Sunday's game against the Colts. When you look at the first half, for the most part, I think that uh, the Packers were in pretty good position. Good defenses were called or good um, coverages were called. I mean, there were moments, obviously, where they didn't go the Packers way. But overall, I thought that was fine. It was at the beginning of the second half. I think you really saw a lot of these issues with Pettin that have come up before, come up again. At, you know, the Colts came out with five consecutive runs. And during that time, and part of this was because they couldn't sub, but still, Kirksey was on the field because Mike Pettin thought that they were going to pass because they were down by two scores. That was obviously not their plan. And it took them a while to get Kamal Martin back in. That significantly hindered the run defense. And that was part of the reason why those runs in the second half were so much more effective than the Colts had in the first half. You also look at those cushions. It wasn't just the beginning of the third quarter. A lot of those key downs, like when the, when the Colts were in third and short, when they were bringing in Jacoby Brissett, you saw a lot of those corners playing with a lot of cushion. And that just doesn't make sense because either they're going to run, in which case you don't want to give those receivers space, or sorry, give, um, give the, uh, the offensive lineman and the tight end space, or they're going to quick pass and you don't want to give the receiver space. So again, these are concepts that make sense in certain situations, but we're not seeing those situations really come up with the Packers when they're using them. So it's it, it's really just a lot of decent ideas that are not implemented correctly. And maybe that's really the uh, the elevator line for the entire Petten defense for the past three seasons. So as you look at the scenario then for the Green Bay Packers here, they they fancy themselves a Super Bowl contender. I think uh, most people look at them and see a, a, at least the team who at its best can be that. Do you feel like a move is warranted? Let's just say full stop, and then we can talk about timeline. Yeah, as I said on Twitter during the game on Sunday, when they were in that, it was first and 30 after a penalty. Now, that penalty uh, ultimately was declined because the Packers were more concerned about time than field position. But it was first and 30, then it was second and 20. And in those moments, like this is a stop the Packers absolutely have to have. It's the one that they haven't been able to produce in clutch situations under Pettin this season and for good portions of last season. You have to stop it. And given the issues that we've seen with Pettin, it was, you know, it's not like this was the moment where it became clear to anybody who was watching who didn't already think that Pettin should go that he should. But this is a test that you just have to pass. It's pass fail. If you stop them, then you move forward. If you don't, then I'm sorry that this is this is what you have to do. This is the job description. And the Packers on third or sorry, on second and 20 gave up, I think it was a 14 yard or six, it was a 16 yard gain, and then gave up the conversion the following down. And if not for a series of Colts penalties, 
the Packers probably don't have the opportunity to come back and score to force overtime. So the, 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 that the Packers were able to make it a competitive game again speaks more to the issues with the Colts than it does with Penn's defense. That's something that you absolutely cannot have happen. And those sort of things have happened far too frequently under Mike Penn's watch. So I don't know necessarily when the right time is to replace Penn, but I do think we've reached the point where I don't think we're going to see him as the defensive coordinator this time next year. I said this on the show yesterday. It, it, it stands in stark contrast to what the offense is and what the offense does because this season we've seen them so often with not only good plans but good situational play calls and much better execution. When you know it was Mike Patton and Mike McCarthy, it was sort of, okay, two or three times a game and sometimes four, five, six times a game, the offense would do something and you just go, what is that? And the defense would have those same issues. And so... In, in some ways, the defensive issues just mirror the offensive issues and, and they didn't stick out as much. It seems like especially this year, those, hey, what are they doing playing this coverage in this situation or what are they doing in, in this uh, scheme in this situation? It, they stand out more because the offense has been so good. And, and not that that's a, an excuse. I think, if anything, it's an indictment of of Patton because we're seeing competent offensive football. So let's talk about this issue of timing, because there are going to be a lot of fans that say it it just has to happen and it has to happen now. And and frankly, the right time to do it was, you know, whatever, 10 months ago after the NFC championship game. And this just can't go on any longer from your perspective, whether or not you think that should happen. We, we can talk about that as well. But do you think that's a tenable solution for Green Bay? I don't think it is totally out of the question. And, and I speak to a certain degree from experience. In 2019, I covered the Chargers, who made not a defensive coordinator change middle of the season, but an offensive coordinator change middle of the year. And prior to that, I would have said there's no real benefit to doing this unless you feel like you're all everyone involved is playing for their jobs. That's definitely not the case with the Packers. There's no scenario, at least that I can conjure for football reasons, where uh, Matt LaFleur is not the head coach of the Packers next year. So... Right. Given that, and they, whether they're not forced to make a change, I, I still think it's possible simply because of how poorly the defense has performed in certain situations and just how they're implementing some of their best players. This is not a talentless defense. I mean, they definitely have players that are performing below expectation. Uh, Preston Smith is probably the most notable of those. But I mean, we've seen over the course of the season, even though Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage played pretty well against the Colts, both of those players have had issues earlier in the season. We've definitely seen issues with Kevin King at times. That was also an issue against the Colts yesterday. So you look at all of those things and say, okay, the talent is there on the field, but it's not really playing up to at least what we expect of it. At a certain point, that becomes an indictment of the coaching. You have to look at what your other options are. They can't bring in someone from the outside middle of the year. At least I can't imagine that. I, I've never seen that work. And I don't think that's something that Matt LaFleur is going to try during the season. So you look at that staff. Who could realistically take the position if Penn were to be let go? And to be honest, there are not a lot of obvious options. doesn't mean that these guys couldn't do it because we've seen defensive assistants come out of nowhere to become really just plus-plus coordinators. This is happening right now with the Los Angeles Rams with uh, with their new defensive coordinator, uh, and his name is escaping me at this very moment, but they plucked him out of obscurity, essentially, and he's become one of the better defensive coordinators in the league. So it's not impossible. But you look at this staff, Jerry Gray has done this before, so he does have some experience coordinating a defense, being in charge of an entire defense. It was a while ago, but I do think he's probably the most obvious contender if they were to do this middle of the year. Jerry Montgomery has been on that staff for a while. He actually predates 
Mike Pettin becoming the defensive coordinator. I would think that's at least someone they would have to consider. And then Mike Smith, which would be interesting and kind of awkward because Mike Smith is there because Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator. That That's his guy dating back from their time with the Jets when Mike Smith was a linebacker. But Mike Smith is considered to be an up-and-coming defensive coach. Probably not someone you'd expect to be a defensive coordinator next year, but something that could be in his future. And he's someone that a lot of those pass rushers, those those edge guys, have really, really spoken up about. We saw last year uh, and, and this year, too, Rashawn Gary really speak out about what Mike Smith has done for him. So these are guys that make sense for that role if they were to do it. But I'm not sure any of these guys are obvious as the replacement candidates, if you understand what I mean by the difference. Yeah, I, I do, and and you know Mike Smith has not been a, a full-on defensive coordinator really uh, since Texas Tech, and even then he was co-defensive coordinator. And oh, by the way, those Texas Tech defenses were universally terrible. Uh, the name that you were looking for is Brandon Staley, the Rams yes, coach, and and in Jason's defense, uh, that was something that that we talked about uh, in in pre-production, and and he pulled magically out of thin air when when we were doing it then so uh, i i don't fault you for not not grabbing it there um as we as we look at you know what what could be the benefit of this you go back to 2012 the the baltimore ravens fired cam cameron and elevated jim caldwell in in what ended up being a super bowl run that has to be how you think of this this move working if you are the packers right they have to think that there is a material difference a, a meaningful difference between what mike Patton would bring and, and someone they elevate otherwise you're, you're just making a move to make a move the jim caldwell example i think is actually really good for this but not necessarily because it magically fixed things if you go back and look at that ravens offense with cam cameron as the offensive coordinator that year and then what it did under jim caldwell it actually didn't really improve all that much from an efficiency standpoint, but there were situations within that where they did improve. Their third down conversions improved, and maybe that's just small sample size and coincidence, and we're attributing that to the change, when in reality that might have just happened anyway because of just you know the law of averages, but you're looking for situational improvement. That's what I think the Packers need if they're going to do that this year. Mike Pettin's defense going into the week was, I believe, ranked 16th in DVOA. It very quietly crept up to middle of the pack. Now, I think a little bit of that is, you know, playing the Jags and getting some of those, you know, easier, you know, DVOA wins out there, for lack of a better term for it. But the defense had made, again, overall efficiency improvements, even if it was still failing in certain situations. Those situations are where, in theory anyway, a coordinator change could make the difference, but it's also possible that we're just looking at a small sample size and making too big of a judgment off of it. Not that that should be a reason to keep Mike Pettin, but just because they, let's say, go to Jerry Gray, maybe those things don't improve the way that they did for the Ravens when they made the OC change in 2012. It's possible. I think it's worth considering. But let's be clear, just because they make the change at defensive coordinator doesn't automatically mean that those small situations are going to improve. No, and and uh, I want to just b- before we talk about potential candidates in the offseason, is there a scenario you can see where Mike Patton does make some sort of I, I don't want to call it miraculous, but he makes some sort of approach change or on the margins, he gets better in some of these, you know, let's say third down situations. And suddenly this defense does look good enough to be, you know, uh, an improvement over what we've seen to date. I think it's possible. Or or perhaps better, do you think it's likely? Likely seems a little strong. Because that's really the question, right? Yeah, likely seems a little strong because 
you would think that if those adjustments were there for him to make, he would have made them already. My, my pet is not dumb. He has coached some very good defenses in the past. So this is not someone who just, you know, fell back, you know, ass backwards, you know, Cosmo Kramer style into being the Packers <laughs> defensive coordinator. But at the same time, we haven't seen some of these changes. Like the the corners are still far too frequently playing with huge, huge cushions in situations where they need to be up at the line of scrimmage. We're we're not seeing those run fits really happen the way that they should. I mean the, the Colts were able to get QB sneak whenever they needed to simply because the Packers were basically not even trying to make the run fence on a QB sneak. That's just, It's a near unforgivable mistake. But Mike Pettin, and he again, he has to know this, that whether or not he's going to be let go in the middle of the season, that his job is really on the line. I mean, it was an open question whether or not he was going to return after the 2019 season. And, and sure, Matt LaFleur has said that he never truly considered it, but what else is he going to say after he retained Mike Pettin. He's not going to say, yeah, I thought about getting rid of him, but in the end, I decided it was better to have him than not. Like, you're going to give a full throat right. endorsement. So Mike Pettin <laughs> has to know that this could be his last season as the Packers DC. And if that's the case, you cannot leave any options on, or on the table. So if he thinks that there are things that just he doesn't like to do, but you know, he just has to try, he's going to try them, presumably over the course of the next you know month and a half. He doesn't have a better option at this point. So I think you will see attempts at changes. I can't tell you for sure that they are going to work. My inclination is that they probably will not work well enough. But I do think you're going to see some things change. Otherwise, they're going to have to make a change at DC but in the season because you can't keep trotting out the same approach every week and then get mad when it doesn't work. Like it, This is what you expect when you make these mistakes again and again and again. All right, so let's let's move to the 2021 offseason then and and try and figure out who makes sense uh and and who the Packers could be targeting. It is difficult because LaFleur has had such a diverse group of players or excuse me of coaches added to his staff, some people he's familiar with, some people he really had no connection with. So if you're handicapping this race, who are who are the coaches that you think they would consider, who are the coaches you think they should consider? You make a very important point about LaFleur's hiring practices thus far. We have a very small sampling size. He obviously hired for his initial staff, and with very few exceptions, that's the same staff that they have this year. And within that, you have guys that he'd worked with in the past. Justin Outen, their tight ends coach, had been with him in Atlanta. You look at Kirk Olivadotti, someone they'd been with him in Washington. But you look at other guys, and they were not not just that they weren't on his staffs, they weren't people that he had any connection with in the past. So given the small sample size, we don't know what is and isn't likely. So we are more grasping at straws here. Even with that said, though, I think you have to talk about Wade Phillips because this is someone with whom he has yep. worked with in the past. They were both on that LA Ram staff that Sean McVay originally formed in 2017. And Wade Phillips has, I think almost without exception, been an instant impact defensive coordinator everywhere he has gone for a long time. You know, Wade Phillips doesn't always stay very long because at a certain point, almost all of his head coaches have decided they needed to make a change. But you're not looking for the next five, 10 years right now if you're Matt LaFleur. You're looking at the next season or two seasons, however long they are going to have Aaron Rodgers. If Wade Phillips can come in and have the same sort of instant impact with the Packers that he had with the Rams, that is a no-brainer hire. When you talk about the the short timeline here, 
that also suggests that they probably have to find someone who schematically is at least somewhat similar to Mike Patton because it would seem, you know, unreasonable for them to feel like they could come in and year one compete with an entirely new defense. We've we've seen this with Matt LaFleur's offense. It took them a full year to really get that under their belt and and uh, be efficient with it. So if we're looking at, you know, whether it's a, a Mike Patton coaching tree, you know, if they could pry someone like maybe say Jim Leonard from the college ranks, it, it probably has to be someone in that range, doesn't it? Yeah, at least in terms of spiritually what they are trying to do. Because while I don't think it matters as nearly as much as it used to, whether someone is quote unquote a three-four defensive coordinator or a four-three defensive coordinator, I mean, almost none of these defenses are playing their base anyway. Like it's it's like Pittsburgh. And to a lesser extent, Detroit are the only teams that are really doing a lot of base defense. Everybody else is doing some form of nickel and sub. And if that's the case, as long as you're playing to use your star players in the fashion with which they are accustomed, I think that's fine. So someone like Jim Leonard, who you know I don't think is as attached to the 3-4 in the way that Petten has been historically, I think he could work in that situation because of the way he would use someone like Zadarius Smith. You want Smith being able to line up on the edge on certain downs and kick inside on others. That is the best way to use him. And that's not just a Packers thing. That was true when he was with Baltimore as well. So if you're able to do that, then I, I think you're fine. If you're able to put uh, Jair Alexander in situations where he can play press, he's going to be in man more often than he's in zone. That makes sense. And we've seen when these situations go awry, one of the few personnel issues when Wade Phillips, for example, went to the Rams, or actually being the order reverse, this was after he's with the Rams, but after they acquired Marcus Peters from the Chiefs, Peters is someone who really likes to work in press, and they weren't using him nearly as much, and Peters went from being one of the better corners in the league to being someone who was almost unplayable at times, and that's why they traded him to the Ravens. Then, in a scheme that really focuses on press coverage, Guess what? He was able to be awesome again. So you do have to focus on those sort of things. But again, if you're able to get most of the star players, hopefully all of the star players, in situations to succeed, you can figure out the rest. Everything else is fungible. You have to get those first big parts down first. I, I had wanted to talk about offensive line, but but we are uh, out of time. We will have you back to do that. Jason, let my listeners know where they can find the work that you're doing. Well, you can find me on Twitter at by underscore JBH. You can find my work at SPNation.com, NFL.com. I freelance other places. Uh, hopefully, you will consume it all because I need to pay the rent. It's a it's a good week to talk about consuming it all. Uh, a, a happy Thanksgiving to you, Jason, and to, and to everyone listening. I appreciate you coming on. All right. Take care, Peter. Before we finish up, let's talk about our friends at Built Go. You've heard me talk about Built Bar. And, and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Go is something a little bit different. Whether it's a mental or a physical wall, break through it with Built Go every day. It's energy in a pouch that's easy to take with you wherever you go. Put it in a briefcase for the most focused presentation ever. Put it in your golf bag or your purse just to get you through the day. It's only one and a half ounces and it is the best energy gel on the market it's like a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling plus it's natural so it's better for your body it comes in three delicious flavors and you know the flavors deliver because it's made by the same people who make the best tasting protein bar ever visit builtgo.com and use promo code locked to get 20 percent off your next order that's promo code locked for 20 percent off at builtgo.com today's episode is also brought to you by the freighter and the medical college of wisconsin 
With the power of academic medicine, the Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network makes more possible, more humanly possible for patients, like Aaron Rodgers does for his offense. More innovations that lead to life-saving treatments, more breakthroughs for complex diseases, and more locations across the region so that academic medicine is never far. But what is academic medicine anyway? First, it's rare. The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network is Eastern Wisconsin's only academic health system. Academic medicine makes possible leading-edge primary and specialty care, research to find groundbreaking cures, and the education of the next generation of healthcare professionals. Academic medical centers provide greater access to clinical trials, which can lead to breakthrough treatments and life-saving drugs. The Freighter and MCW physicians have been a part of many scientific discoveries of new ways to prevent, diagnose, and treat diseases. It all adds up to more possibilities. And when we do everything humanly possible, you can too. To learn more, visit www.freighter.com. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Lily Zhao on the program, getting us ready for Packers Bears. There will be no Thursday show, so we're going to have a Wednesday show. Crossover Thursday will be on Friday. We will still have the live Periscope portion. We're just going to do a little bit shorter segment there. It'll be at the top of the show, and then we'll run the crossover in the second half of the program so that you can still get a good preview of Packers Bears. It's weird to be this late in the season and not have played the Bears. Eddie Jackson going on the COVID list yesterday. We'll see if he's available. Matt Nagy says he distilled has not decided on a starting quarterback with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky both dealing with injuries. So we'll have plenty to talk about the next few days. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do it 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.